2: New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Flatto. If you can't hear it, my voice is waning. It's been a hectic couple of days of March madness. Uh, for my standpoint, I typically have two big days, Friday, Saturday. Friday, we, we um, I, I take off every year Friday. We rent out a bar. And this bar was loud, so I was a lot of yelling, a lot of trying to get my conversation in, and you had to yell to do it. So, Saturday, same exact situation. Hoboken, though. The first one was in Morristown, so back-to-back great days watching tourney basketball. It's the freaking best time of the year. Yeah, I'm a huge NFL fan, obviously, and I love the Super Bowl, and I love week one of the NFL, but nothing compares, for me at least, to those first two days of March Madness, the Thursday, Friday of the, of the tourney, and so I'm gonna, you know, try to get through this bad boy, And but obviously, as you notice, my voice is waning. Nick, how about you? Do you have a full voice for today? I do have a full voice for
1: today. I don't think I've watched a second of March Madness, oh, to be honest. Eight. I I, th- I know. I think I turned on because I saw Colgate trending. So I was like, oh, who are they playing? And, and then I saw Wisconsin. So I was like, oh, well, I, I have to turn that on. So I turned it on, hoping it was like the fourth quarter and the waning minutes. And it was like this first half or whatever, which is like the second quarter in college basketball. So I was just like, I right, know. Nah. And then I went on. And did other things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Fact. You've just proved to listeners how little you have watches by talking about quarters when it comes to college basketball. So no,
1: That's why I tried to uh, <laughs> rectify that on the second, on the second go-around. Yeah.
2: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But there has been a little bit of news with the Giants, some back-end news, a couple backups they signed, and one player we didn't expect them to cut that they cut. And we'll start there with Logan Ryan, <laughs> safety for the Giants, no longer. This was a very surprising cut just because they had backed themselves into such a corner that Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge team had by first extending him, which, again, I was one of the only people who was against that move to begin with, and it's proven to be a bad move, obviously, if you have to cut him two years into it, but then making the decision to have him be one of the players who you kick the cap can on. And obviously last year, me and Nick, as as we reflect back, you know it's difficult because you're running a Giants podcast, or you have you you at least try to default to looking at things from a positive standpoint. But looking back, everything they did last off was not positive. It was it was negative. It was ill advised. They had won no not enough games in 2020 to make the decisions that they made in the 2021 off season, like the Logan Ryan pushback. And you know what they ha- with the with the decision to push that contract back. I believe if I have the numbers right now, Nick, and you can confirm because I've been out for most of the weekend. They only saved eight hundred thousand with the decision to cut Logan Ryan, so this was a very odd one to me from that standpoint. I can't imagine it's be- it it what when you make that decision and only save eight hundred k and you take all that dead cap hit on, you're essentially saying your team is better without player X than with him. At least in my mind. So, do you have any clarity on on this decision or or you know how much they've actually saved with it?
1: Yeah, so it is 775k on the cap. There was a $3 million skill guarantee that was going to trigger on the third day of the league year, which he was released before that. So it saves a little bit of money from from that standpoint, and I think it also saves money for next year. I could be wrong on that. To be honest, I'm not a cap expert. But I was also pretty surprised by this move. I think it indicates that Wink Martindale looked at Xavier McKinney, looked at the roster, looking at the draft, and he said, there's no reason to have Logan Ryan on this rebuilding team right now. And we can save anything we can get. We might as well just release him save that 775k and move on part ways. And I think that was really what it was. I think they want Xavier McKinney to step into this more leadership type of role in this defense heading into his third season, had his first full season last year, showed a lot of strides down the way. And they looked at Logan Ryan and said, there's really going to be no place for you. You're just more of a, you're an addition from a previous regime. So if we can make the money work, save a little bit, eat some dead cap, let you leave, we're going to do so. And I think that's what ended up happening. Logan Ryan was a good leader here, good culture guy, good locker room guy, but he wasn't a fit for what Martindale wanted.
2: Yeah, and I expressed that a few podcasts ago. I didn't really feel like he was going to be a good fit for what Martindale does, but at the same time, they do run, or at least they did run with Baltimore. He ran a lot of three safety looks, and the Giants don't have three safeties on the roster that I want and feel comfortable on the field with right now. Now that may mean that they're coming in the draft but the Giants don't also don't have this luxury of just you can take every single need. The Giants have 70,000 needs it feels like. They need they need tackle help, they need guard help. They really need receiver help if we're going to be honest with the situation. They really need running back help if we're going to be honest with the situation. Especially with Barkley likely off the roster next year. They need tight end help. That one's obvious too. Ricky Seals-Jones is not all you can get, all you need at tight end. We'll get to that signing in a bit. To me very very meh signing um at the tight end position and so now you're adding safety to that mix alongside corner potentially maybe not if they keep bradbury but still a need i mean you always need corners especially in winks defense where it's going to be man coverage heavy inside linebacker that's another big need for this team and you might not even take a position that's a need if you take one of these edges first because the giants are at this point sadly edge is one of their deeper positions on the roster so i just don't know i mean It is what it is. I guess they just feel like he doesn't fit the system and they want, again, like you said, Xavier McKinney to take more of a leadership role. And I guess that's hard or impeded by having Logan, uh, Logan Ryan on the roster. But if that's the case, Nick, then you can sign me off and sign me out of the idea that these locker room guys, these culture guys have value in the first place. Because if you, if you're telling me that this team is better off without one of these culture guys, because that allows another safety to take more of a leadership role, yeah, I just I just don't know. I don't know what the point of that was in the first place. I don't know, man.
1: That's a weird way to look at it, in my opinion, because he was more than a culture guy. Logan Ryan was a huge impact player in 2020. He was a big reason why the Giants were competitive for that crappy NFC East in that, that year. I mean, they defeated Washington because of Logan Ryan. He made so many clutch plays, the strip fumble, the, the interception on Alex Smith at the end of the year. He was much more than just a culture guy. And In terms of it, he was for
2: that first year. There's no doubt about it. Yeah,
1: first year, and he had all the leverage kind of with that going into the contract situation, which sucked. It was bad timing for the for the Giants brass at the time, but they felt like, hey, if we're gonna take the next step forward, and they obviously Gettleman and Judge expected that, (laughs) they hoped for that because if not, they were gonna be fired. Did not happen. So here we are right now. But I mean, of I would day, say that it's,
2: fa- it's not so fair to say he had all the leverage there either because he went into the offseason. He signed with the Giants with no one showing any interest in him, and the Giants gave him a one-year deal that was pretty lucrative considering how cold his market was. And then they made the decision to give him three years, $30 million extension. I don't know if he hits that market that everyone else is going to look at him so differently than they looked at him before he signed the one-year deal with the Giants. He had a great year for the Giants, but I don't think that means that he's going to get some big contract at 30 years old.
1: Well, he had the leverage going in because of how good he played. Now, if I remember correctly, but I don't that know if that season, gives him the leverage there. Ryan had a lot of interest in 2020. His asking price was just too high. He was looking for like 10 to 12 million and the Giants gave him eight. And he was able to leverage his good play in 2020 to get, the 10 mil a year on the three year deal with the Giants got that from the Giants because of how well he played in 2020. That's what I mean right. by the leverage. Now they could have played hardball with them. I'm not really hundred percent certain.
2: What or they could did. have just not re-signed him. Of, and then he wouldn't have had have, that. And, and
1: then, then he it wouldn't have had
2: that contract. They, the Giants were the only one giving him that contract.
1: More than likely. Yes. The Giants. And
2: that's clear by on. the fact that they're cut him now and he's not going to get anywhere near that on the open market.
1: No, he signed like a one year deal with Tampa Bay. He's already signed.
2: I didn't even see already signed. So what, what was that for? Yeah.
1: I honestly don't have the
2: numbers in front of me.
1: I could try to look it up. What I mean by leverage is the timing of the situation coincided perfectly with him needing a contract because he only signed a one-year deal. And in that one-year deal, he balled out of his mind for the defense. When you play that well in Patrick Graham's system, it's hard to just let them go the next year when you're expecting to be there for years to come when you can kick the cap can down. It might not be the wisest thing, but obviously Gettleman and Judge weren't expecting to be fired. And Logan Ryan is also a huge Joe Judge guy. I'm sure Judge advocated extensively to have him on the
2: roster. Played well for sure to earn. And in terms of
1: your your previous comment about the the culture, like – Releasing Logan Ryan is more of a, we want Xavier McKinney to be a leader of the defense in terms of calling the plays, wearing the green dot, being the secondary piece. Whereas if they had Logan Ryan, Logan Ryan would have been that player doing that. So like, that's not necessarily a culture thing, locker room thing. It's more of just, we want Xavier McKinney to be the leader on the field, not Logan Ryan.
2: Yeah, I, I understand that. I just I mean, I know that's the that's the company line of it. I just don't know necessarily if I buy into it. I don't know that you need Logan Ryan to be off the roster for Xavier McKinney to take a leadership role. I guess that's just my my opinion on the situation. I guess that's the line of it. Apparently, he needs to be off the roster for him to be take this leadership role. But I just don't, that's just, I don't one,
1: know one element of it. I mean, it's, it's the just, only
2: element that makes any sense, really. Right. Because you're not saving any money just, here.
1: That and just a little minimal cap savings and whatever savings they might get next year. But you can't sign a safety million, better than
2: Ryan for that money, right?
1: You can't. I, I wouldn't think so. Unless they go out and sign somebody There's, who really knows Wink Martindale's system, like a Deshaun Elliott, which a lot of people have pitched around and which theoretically makes a lot of sense.
2: Who's not signing for 775000 anyway, though?
1: No, no, absolutely not. You would have to get creative with the cap in that situation. Yeah, and you don't want to give a contract
2: out, another contract out that you're going to regret.
1: When the Giants initially re-signed Logan Ryan to that deal, they expected to be competitive through that deal. They expected to, you know, challenge for the division. Now, I think Joe Shane and this regime acknowledges it might be a little bit until they are competitive. So why are we going to keep someone who's played a decline last season on the roster when we can groom younger talent and possibly bring in somebody like an Elliott, somebody who knows Wink Martindale's system, somebody Wink Martindale wants on this team? instead of somebody who is going to probably continue to decline. And by the time the Giants are truly competitive, he's going to pretty much suck pretty bad. So uh, that's probably something else that factors into this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I this one to me is certainly not a move I'm applauding by any means. I, I guess I'm okay with it, but I just don't see any value behind this move whatsoever, really. I guess they just really didn't want Ryan on this roster. They just, they, like you said, they must, must not felt like McKinney can take that step forward from a leadership standpoint without him. just never
1: just didn't have a vision for him and they might love somebody in the draft which is which is another thing that we should probably discuss and i don't even know how much that or what happens with that three million kicker that would have because i don't think that necessarily how much does that affect the cap i don't i don't know if it does or if that's just three million coming out of the owner's pocket
2: right in which case we don't care but yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly i don't don't really know the cap on, on this either i remember when it when he was first cut i was around and it was kind of everybody was kind of like, oh, well, one person said they're going to save this amount of money. The other person's like, they're saving this yeah, amount of money. Weird. And in the end, they ended up saving not much from this decision. So definitely one of the weirder decisions, I think, from from my standpoint that I've seen with the Giants in the last five, 10 years, at least just from a confusion standpoint, for me, at least. I, I'm fine with it, I guess. Again, I wasn't a huge believer in Ryan and Wink's system to begin with, but I just don't think you're fine. And, and again, this is mostly going to be most likely a punt year, despite how bad the NFC East is going to look because the Giants can potentially, I, I was talking about this with a friend last night at the, at the bar when we were talking about March Mendes. It's not completely, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves like we did last offseason, Nick, but it's not completely out of the realm to think the Giants have a chance to win the NFC
0: East just because of how bad the NFC East is. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Yeah. And that the NFC in general sucks, even if they don't win the NFC East, like squeaking into the playoffs with a seven seed that that could realistically happen. Does that mean the Giants are good, and ready to win the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But seven playoff teams in a weak conference, it's possible. Anything can happen. We've seen how many times you can lose or win close games. The Giants have been on the the, the bad end of that. Now if that just switches, you know, play here, play there. And the Giants are winning games and they could possibly make the playoffs, which would be insane to think about right now, but crazier things have happened.
2: Yeah. And then it's in, but the, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's just interesting. When you lose a player like Logan, Logan Ryan, you're not going to be able to replace him one for one unless you use one of those high draft picks. but we'll see what happens there. Um, we actually haven't recorded since giants made a couple moves, both backup players. In my mind, one has a chance to be more. The first is Tyrod Taylor or Tyrod Taylor, as it's actually pronounced, but, he does He does allow people to, to call him Tyrod, so I'm probably going to continue to call him Tyrod only because he's allowed it and he's confirmed it himself. As those of you who <laughs> might remember from Hard Knocks, he, this was like a big funny storyline, how it's actually Tyrod Taylor, like a T-U. But uh, again, he allows Tyrod, so I might call him Tyrod. But Tyrod Taylor, Giants signed. Um, what are your initial thoughts on him as a backup quarterback? At First, obviously people were freaked out by the contract details, but it ended up being a lot cheaper than anyone thought.
1: Yeah, it was originally reported as two years, $17 million, which seemed like a lot. But it's really just two years, $11 million with a bunch of incentives. Because, you know, I liked it. He was one of the quarterbacks that I wanted the Giants to pursue. A lot of people were talking about Mitch Trubisky, and I was like, he might price himself out. He didn't get a ridiculous contract either, but he's going to be starting for Pittsburgh. I liked Marcus Mariota. Tyrod was always that third guy that I mentioned. I have issues with Tyrod's ability to stay healthy. It seems like every time he's out there, he ends up getting injured within two to three weeks. Hopefully he doesn't see a lot of playing time and Daniel Jones kind of takes a step forward and then he's that veteran presence that can help Jones. If anything does happen to Jones, he can step in because he's athletic. You don't have to change the offense all that much. I uh I, I like the move. I do. It's it's a much better addition than someone like a Mike Glennon. And I feel like he offers more than even someone like a Colt McCoy who couldn't even push the ball vertically. I think Tyrod Taylor has a little bit more than that in his tank. So I'm uh I'm a fan of the move.
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of this decision by the Giants. Obviously, those who know me know that I believe in QB too. And especially this is I believe in QB. I just believe in adding talent to that position when you, when you, especially when you don't have like Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow as your QB one, then things change. And I get a little, di- you know, my, my opinion might change, but when you have unsettled situation at QB one, and that's a, that's being nice about the giant situation right now for a quarterback who topped out of career highs in 2019 with 3,200 yards and 21 touchdowns. What was it? 24 touchdowns or 21 touchdowns, whatever it was, those were career high numbers and haven't been top since. So they need, talent at that position and I think to Taylor the thing that's interesting to me that I want to look back at and and just and discuss at another point after we watch some tape is he changed a bit as a quarterback with the Texans last year because before that he had been remember as recently I think as 2017 he took the Bills to the playoffs as the starting quarterback which is pretty impressive and to me proved one thing that I was always concerned with with to which was can he throw in the cold because that's going to happen the windy cold That's going to happen if you come to New York And he threw pretty well that season in Buffalo. Then, obviously he had a dome season last year with the Texans and obviously had some time with the Browns. So he's proven that, but he had a dome season. What I'm interested in finding out, Nick is his turnovers went up big last season with the Texans in the time that he was on the field. Um, So I'm interested in seeing why that happened because he wasn't a turnover heavy quarterback prior to that with the bills, with the Browns with any, at any stop of his career. So I'm curious why that was the case. And that might just be, you know, scheme based or, Based on the situation around him. It a
1: really bad game against Miami. <laughs> he threw three picks uh, that, at yeah, Miami. That's obviously
2: inflating the numbers as well, like you said. And I thought you were going to make a joke earlier, by the way, about how, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy. Hopefully he doesn't have a, doc- a doctor. Yeah. What happened with the charge <laughs> situation? I forget. But so it
1: was like a- I don't remember exactly. He had some pressure in his in his chest. So they went to go relieve it and they they kind of like uh, put the needle so far into like under his ribs that it punctured his lung. And that's yeah. what led to Justin Herbert starting. Yeah, unreal. So that's a little bit of bad luck there,
2: too, for him. And but Dan,
1: do you remember Anthony Lynn, like literally said, like, Justin Herbert's not going to start this year. This is Tyrod's team. And that happened in like week like it might have been week one or it was possibly week two. And it was, that's just like wild that like it happened. Cause once Justin Herbert got exposed to the NFL, it was like, oh wow. Yeah. There's no way we can go back to Tyrod. Yeah. I remember when he
2: first played that first game, like even then Lynn was like, "Eh, I'm not sure. We'll see what happens with Tyrod. And everyone's like, are you freaking kidding me? Did you see how this Herbert kid looked out there? You can't take him off the field. What are you crazy? And yeah, like (laughs) you said, that was it. Herbert has obviously been a mainstay there too. I'm excited to see him take this jump next year. I think year three is going to be a big one for him in the nfl not that he hasn't already taken a huge jump but there's more to come there but yeah tarod taylor definitely someone i'm going to be interested in seeing uh and comparing what happened in houston because i think this probably wasn't he would tell you it's probably not his best season but he still made plays like you watch the film and he's still making things. thing he's still doing things that giants don't currently have at the quarterback position he's making throws on the run that the giants i haven't seen from this giant's quarterback and he's making some plays downfield that were Improvise, And that word, you know, the pocket broke down. It wasn't as planned. He's getting off schedule and still making things happen, which is something the Giants have really lacked for a long time now at the quarterback position. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Terod Taylor. The, the interesting last, uh, I guess, um, icing on the cake for me would be if the Giants do decide to move on from Daniel Jones this next offseason, they have Terod under contract for next year. And if they bring in a rookie quarterback, that's a great thing to have. You have a veteran quarterback under contract who can help groom him and, you know, help him try to become a player that can get on the field earlier than not.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point as well. I mean, that's something that could realistically happen if Daniel Jones doesn't take that next step. I mean, that's probably, honestly, would you say that's the more probable course of action? Yeah,
2: I do. I do think that's ah. the most likely situation for them.
1: Yeah, probably, which is which is crazy. But that's the, that's the point where the New York Giants are right now. And I also think Tyrod had a relationship with Joe Shane because then they spent a year together in yeah Colorado, they did 2017 yeah and we also signed our tight end one bro <laughs>
2: crazy that that's the best tight end there have giants have on the roster the giants tight end position they need to really re- i hope joe shane and uh dable have, have gone to the, you know gone to the drawing board and said look we have done this position dirty for the last five ten years of a franchise we need to step the hell up and get this going but i know this is not Obviously, this start everybody wanted. I wanted a couple other players, Max Williams, Hayden Hurst. I would have taken Austin Hooper. These are all professional tight ends to me. Ricky Seals Jones to me, you know, obviously, obviously, as he proved in that making that crazy touchdown catch against the Giants, he has untapped athleticism and potential from somewhat, from some standpoint, but he's older. So I'm not really too high on him. He can't, he's not really the blocking type I'm looking for, the inline wide type. He's just kind of a, and, and he ends up signing what was close to basically the veteran minimum with the Giants. So, it is what it is. It's basically just fodder and just somebody you can put out there and he and, and can make some plays. Sometime. Yeah, he only
1: counts counts 1 million against the cap right now. He signed a 1.2 million deal. It was the veteran salary benefit contract. So, from a monetary standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. And I wrote a 3,000 word film review on Big Blue View about Ricky Seals Jones, published on the 19th. So, yesterday from one we recording right now. So, if anybody wants to go and read that, it's pretty detailed. Things I like about Seals Jones is that athletic ability. I mean, he's 27 years old, so he's been in the league for a little bit, but he's still pretty young he is a good athlete he can explode off the line of scrimmage stretch the field vertically stretch the field horizontally and i feel like he does a pretty solid job in contested catch situations he has that acrobatic catch type of trait can go up with one hand the ball can really climb the proverbial ladder pluck it away from his frame secure it through contact hit the ground still hang on to the football so from that standpoint i, I respect what ricky seals jones can do he's not going to do much as a blocker you can have him as like a, an f a sniffer an h whatever you want to However, you want to term it, you have him as that kind of on split flow action. He could be the guy who kind of kicks out the backside of man on the line of scrimmage, can be a little bit of a nuisance in H lead and just getting the linebackers ways, but he, he's so wildly inefficient with his hand placement ducks, his head, just, just terrible technique in terms of blocking. Most of the time he has to, I, I'm really shocked dude that he does not get called for holding on almost every single way he's out there. It's, it, 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 it's that bad in terms of blocking in base situations, I don't think he's as effective as Caden Smith when he's pulling and doing that, you know, on counter plays and all that. And I think Evan Ingram was probably a better blocker than Ricky Seals Jones, which is unfortunate because Evan Ingram wasn't great at blocking either. I think Seals Jones is probably, I know they have the same drop percentage and everything, but I think Seals Jones probably does a better job catching the football. I would say he's probably a little bit better as a route runner, but it's not like he's running crisp routes either. No. I think he does a good job of using his hands at the top of breaks to kind of create subtle separation, and he has more burst out of his break than probably even Evan Ingram did just because Evan Ingram really – throttle down to break and then it took him a little bit like he had to chop his feet a bunch of times to kind of get up to speed whereas seals jones rounds it a little bit more and doesn't lose as much momentum it's not as smooth but then once he breaks and kind of flashes his head towards the quarterback he's already moving at a relatively good speed and he has that foot speed and lateral quickness to kind of cover the ground and and create separation so I, i think he would be an ideal second tight end big slot kind of player but I really hope the Giants still invest a day two pick in the tight end position, preferably for either Trey McBride or Jeremy Ruckert. And in a perfect world, Dan, and I want to get your opinion here: is this and I think you'd love it. Trey McBride in the second round after the Giants trade back at seven, and then they get Jake Ferguson
2: in the third round.
1: or third, day three.
2: So extra second round pick. Obviously, they have another second round pick in this scenario.
1: Yeah, they traded back in the in the at seven to wherever, and they landed. I'd have to. Country.
2: I'd have to honestly take a deeper look at McBride. I'm not. Typically, I don't really like investing second round picks in in tight ends unless I believe they can be two-way type guys. I'd have to take a deeper look at McBride. I haven't watched any of his film. So I'm assuming you have watched some of McBride. That's why you're this high on him.
1: Yeah. So McBride and Ruckert are two guys that I really like. Now, McBride doesn't create great separation as an athlete but he's very good in the contested catch situations. He's very good with his hands. He led the nation in receiving. He led the nation in catches at the tight end position, had over 90, had over a thousand receiving yards. Didn't have a lot of touchdowns, but I don't think that's a product of of him being deficient in the red zone or anything like that. I think he would be a good, crisp Dalton Schultz type of player with a little bit more of a dynamic ability. But I think as a blocker, it's probably like Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz is not a great blocker, but he can block if you need him to. Like he 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 will have enough blocking skills. Whereas Jeremy Ruckert, I think he's another one that I'm very interested in. I go back and forth on who I like more between Ruckert and Trey McBride because Ruckert was just basically a blocker for Ohio State. And he dominated. Yeah, he's not going to dominate edges in the NFL, but he's going to do enough. He's going to be an above average blocking tight end. And I think he has receiving upside that wasn't actualized at Ohio State because they have... Just Jackson Smith, the Jigba. They had Garrett Wilson. They had Chris Olave.
2: I think that's fair. And I think that with regards first, I'll touch on, I guess, McBride. I, I want to watch more. I remain skeptical of using a yeah. second round pick on a player like that. Uh, just because, again, tight end is a position that such a huge bust rate in the NFL and such a hard position to transition to. I know they got to find him somewhere, but I'd almost rather take those swings in round three and four. Uh, at that position, specifically. So. Now, having said that, I do think you're right when it comes to record And I feel the same way from having watched them. Like there's untapped receiving potential, and those are typically my favorite types of prospects. But I have heard that story for a lot of tight end prospects from Ohio State over the years, just because of how that system runs. I feel like that system is not conducive to great tight end stats and, and big time receiving numbers. But a lot of those guys just haven't hit like the, um, hireman and a few of the other guys that were i'm I'm forgetting some of their names over the years from ohio state but i'm not saying he's the same i'd have to watch more of him to compare that but again if i'm going to use one of these second round picks i really want to see i really want to feel confident about that tight end just knowing that how much talent i'm giving i'm passing up on it to wide receiver position to take that tight end instead
1: that's why I kind of went with Trey McBride because I feel like he's a little bit more of a sure thing at, at tight end. And I kind of wanted to get your your opinion on this. Now that the Giants signed Ricky Seals Jones, there's a player from UCLA that we really like tight end, Greg Dolchik. With the Giants, are we still as interested in Greg Dulcich because he's kind of that similar, like, and I know Ricky Seals Jones is only a one year deal but do it doesn't really have that blocking type of prowess. Like right now I'm looking at these tight ends and I kind of want somebody who has a little bit of grit. I'm going to eat some glass type of mentality, which I wouldn't say McBride as that, but I think he's functional as a blocker. I see it more with Rucker. You could speak to Jake Ferguson as somebody. I don't know if he has that necessarily. Cause I haven't gotten a Wisconsin's offense yet. And then there's the other players like Jalen Widemeyer and Isaiah likely they're like a likely is more of a, you know, big wide receiver. Widemeyer has the frame to block, but isn't necessarily all that great in that situation. But are you looking for someone now? Would you, or maybe I should phrase it, would you be turned off by someone like Adulcic because he's not really a blocker?
2: No, I wouldn't. And we'll do a podcast on him soon. Even though he's a lower level prospect, we're still going to do a profile on him just because me and Nick have both watched him. And I would not be turned off by him because I think at this point, yes, Ricky Seals Jones is on the roster for now. But that's a really cheap one year deal. That's nothing. Mm -hmm. That to me shows nothing. That shows me next to nothing. I don't think they're looking at him as a future piece. Maybe they're like, if he balls out, we can get him signed from year 28 on. But they need guys that are going to move forward with this franchise at the tight end position. That could be a receiving type like Dolchich and a blocking type, but whoever they find later in the draft or, you know, earlier in the draft. Cause I think Dolchich could be, could fall all the way to round four, maybe even round five, given some of the, you know, drawbacks that you've talked about. So to me no I w- I wouldn't be held back. They they, they need to really re- replenish, restock and you know plan and and figure out the future at this tight end position because they they're, they're going to need multiple guys that they-, they can move forward with right now. They have next to nothing on the roster as far as the future is concerned right now.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't think Dulczyk will fall that far to be honest. He might actually be like a day 2 pick, maybe the 4th round though. What oh,
2: do you think so? it- It's
1: interesting see it's so interesting dude because i feel like i have right now so many day two picks like i have so many day two grades and that's just kind of the way this draft dude, has gone but you know it's not going to be that way there's only a finite amount of, of day right. two picks so you're going to have value fall to that day three and that happens every year like, we didn't think some of the players who went in day three last year were going to be around and when they are you know you're like oh crap you know let's giants gonna get them you know ellison smith out there and i know he played at uni so he didn't really play and he didn't play in 2020 he went down to the senior bowl and he dominated. And then his combine was literally like the elite of the elite, like some of the best combine testing numbers you can ever have. So he fell to day three and we were like, oh, that's a perfect value right there. And that was a good pick. Now I hope that he actually kind of comes into his own. We didn't really see a lot of him because he was injured last year. And that's another thing too, bro. Like we could probably do a podcast on players who were injured last year and if they can actually break out this year because the Giants have a bunch, just two rookies from last year with Ellison Smith and, Aaron Robinson, both of those yeah. players missed training camp. You know what I mean? Like they, they have high upside still. They, they could become something.
2: Those are two of the better prospects the Giants have right now, as far as I'm concerned. Ellerson Smith is a player who Trevor Penning, who a lot of people like, some people like for the Giants. I haven't watched him yet, but I tend to think that he's being a little overrated just because of some of the, the, the highlights standout quote unquote film that's circulating right. from like tossing guys to the ground and being over overly physical which isn't ultimately going to make for a great tackle, but it's fun to watch. And he said that the best player he's gone against has been in practice against Ellerson Smith. I still feel like we were really high on Smith for reasons, traits-based reasons, and there's still a really high projection on Smith, considering he did miss a lot of time last year, a lot of key practice time with injuries. And same thing goes for Aaron Robinson, who's a different kind of prospect. But remember, I remember valuing the first game Robinson played on tape, and me and you were both like, we could see it right away. Like this kid can play like this kid can hang out there in coverage. And I think he can translate really nicely to wink Martindale's system as well, which is huge. So yeah, those are two of the better prospects on the giants. And like you said, especially even in the the case of Ellerson Smith, we expected him to go on day two and he just didn't. And like you said, there's all these, there's a big gluttony of, of prospects who can go on day two, but won't ultimately. And that's hopefully where the giants will find a prospect on day three. One of these guys who slips.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I think trading back and getting more day two, early day three assets is probably the move in this draft because there's just a deep, deep draft of, of, of solid NFL talent, potential NFL talent. In terms of Trevor Penning, I actually watched a bunch of Trevor Penning film, all the film I could get my hands on. And, and you are right. Dude. This guy is going to have so many penalties, dude. Like <laughs> he's he's um, not just uh, disciplinary penalties, but he also he can hold sometimes. I feel like he lets people into his outside shoulder a little bit easily. It's not that great with his hands, eh, to be honest. And we'll do a draft profile on him. I like Penning because I feel like when you're six foot seven, three 325 pounds, you shouldn't move that way. We we say that a lot on this podcast. When you have that kind of frame and that kind of size, you shouldn't be able to move like you do. And he is an excellent mover. He's an excellent athlete, but there's still a lot to be developed there. He needs a lot of work with his hands and just how he can sustain blocks. I feel like those are things that he doesn't necessarily do that great of a job at, but dude, like literally you turn on the tape against North Dakota state. He's literally just burying dudes time and time again. He's not gonna be able to do that in the NFL, but (laughs) when he's that much bigger and stronger than people, he will. Bury them. And I love that mentality. I love that competitiveness.
2: Yeah, great mentality, great competitiveness. But also, like you said, the key, at least for me there and everything you said, was look, this level of competition is about to change. There's nothing he's going to see that is going to compare anything like to what he played against. And if Ellison Smith was the best he played against at the collegiate level, well, then he's got a rude awakening for (laughs) he's going to face every single snap of his NFL career. And I'm not saying that disqualifies him. This turns him into all it does is turn him into a big time projection. But Right now, I feel like from what I've seen from somebody like Charles Cross, who people are comparing to panning and saying should maybe be taken after Penning, I, I see more of a short thing for sure, just based on the footwork and just based on the smooth ability to move. And, and we'll see. I mean, everybody evaluating offensive linemen, it's everybody's like, what's the word for it or what's the phrase for it? Everybody has their own flavor, different thing they like to look for in the offensive lineman as far as projecting what will work at the next level, typically for me, and it doesn't always work again. Like there's, there's going to be an Andre Dillard in the world for every time you look for these guys who can move well, who are good with the short shuttle and who have good footwork. But it, it, it seems to it seems to work a lot. And from what I've heard from a lot of offensive linemen, some of these guys who are, are big on Twitter, is that the, the feet are the most important thing you look for with an offensive lineman. Even Joe Shane mentioned something like that when he was talking about the three traits he looks for. So we'll see what happens. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously Penning doesn't have that. I haven't watched much of him. What would be your take on Penning's footwork from what you've seen?
1: I think his footwork, it's fine from, from what I've seen. The two games that I've watched, I felt like he sometimes would probably jump set too much when he probably should have 45 tried to get on them and then he leaned a little bit at the waist so i wouldn't say it's it's definitely not as crisp as someone like a charles cross but i didn't think it was something that totally hindered his evaluation or anything like that like he has a nice low stance kind of fires out of his stance his solid explosiveness doing so he can cover the ground if he needs to like i said i don't think I he judged it quite well all the time but that's not necessarily something that I, that I worry too much about. I think all that stuff can probably be corrected in terms of athletic ability. Can he cover the ground when he's asked to? Can he do that? Yes, he's he's much he's a very good athlete, so I think that that wouldn't be an issue.
2: For sure. So, look, there'll be a lot of options for the Giants, and we'll see how many of them will be available to them, when they'll be available to them. Anything else uh, news-wise that you wanted to touch on with the Giants right now?
1: Well, the Giants did also sign a former Sun Devil, Jamil Douglas, to a small one-year deal, he was with the Bills last season, so there's familiarity there. I expect him to be a depth guy who may struggle to crack the roster, and they shouldn't rely on this type of player to start. He had, I think, two snaps last year: one pass blocking snap, and one run blocking snap. So it, it's not something that we hope to rely on. But I'm all about bringing in depth, and the Giants added what four linemen now between douglas gano glowinski and then the other bo- uh, former bill feliciano
2: yeah at least they're doing what they hadn't done in the past which is a flurry of depth signings and i know people could say they tried to do it at the end of last offseason but signing a couple guys in the back end days of Ju- july and august to ultimately retire because they don't want to play for hard-ass joe judge it's not it's not in my really <laughs> my cup of tea and not really an example to me of signing depth It's signing players who nobody wanted and that's why they were around in august at least now you sign these guys that you don't know if the team would have won a team might've been looking at Douglas and the giants got there first and go no And the same, the same thing goes for some of the bigger signings like Feliciano and Lewinsky. So definitely like what they're doing, uh, at least from like that standpoint with the giants, from a uh, overall 30,000 foot view standpoint with the offensive line.
1: Yes. And I want to bring up one more thing before we get out of here. And that's because Logan Ryan is released. Now we've seen Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety get brought up a lot more. How interested are you in possibly selecting Hamilton at seven? If he is still around, does that entice? Well, it probably entices you more now that Logan Ryan is there, but how much would you consider something like that?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I know a lot of people have said, you know, look back at Isaiah Simmons, look back at Saquon Barkley. These are examples of taking, uh, you know, taking the quote unquote best player available and not factoring in enough of the position they play. But, I don't know that that applies to safety. I I get it obviously applies to running back. There's no argument to be had there. And a linebacker like Simmons, who kind of played such a unique role in that Clemson defense with Venables. And you can, you can look back now and kind of be like, all right, I kind of get why his role was so unique at the collegiate level. And and it's been harder for him to kind of find it in the NFL. But what Kyle Hamilton does, there's no, you don't need a unique role for Kyle Hamilton. You put him in Martindale's defense and he's immediately going to be an impact player, and he can do multiple things on the field. For you, you can come up and attack downhill in the box, he can play a deep half role, he can be interchangeable with McKinney. So, normally, I would say I'm not as interested in a player like this, but I, from what I've seen of Kyle Hamilton, I feel like he could be one of the three, four, five best prospects overall in the draft. And I just don't view safety the same way other people view safety, I view it as much more of a Vital position, not only at the NFL level, but within this Wink Martindale defense, which we hope is going to be here for a while. Like we hope the Giants aren't going to have to recycle coaches again, like they've had to do with Shermer and Judge and McAdoo. This is my goal and the hope is 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 Dable and Crew and Wink Martindale included will be here for five, ten years, maybe longer. So I, I think with with all that considered, I'm I'm more open to the the idea of Hamilton than I would be in a lot of other spots for the, you know, in a lot of other situations that the giants could be in right now.
1: I a hundred percent agree. I would like to look at players, defensive players who can fundamentally change what you can do on defense. And I don't think there's a lot of players like that in this draft. I think two really come to my mind other than maybe the cornerbacks. One is Kyle Hamilton and the other is Jordan Davis. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, man. A player like Jordan Davis, you line him up in a tight front. You put him at the nose. It's going to automatically allow you to do so many things on the back end. I know a lot of people like Seth Galina and Deontay Lee talk a lot about the proliferation of tight fronts in the NFL with two high safeties. It's something that Brandon Staley likes to run. And you have a vulnerability there in terms of your run defense when when you do not have somebody like a Jordan Davis. When you have a Jordan Davis, it really allows you to not have that safety shade down on the box. And they can worry more about coverage responsibilities, whether that's double teaming, whether that's dropping into a deep half two shell, whether that's rotating one high and then blitzing another, you can just do a lot of different things. I think those two players can fundamentally change what defensive coordinators want to do if those defensive coordinators want to do that. And I know that someone as big and athletic as Jordan Davis, you can have him do so many different things in the middle of your defense. Now I'm not advocating the giants to select Jordan Davis, they have a poor man's Jordan Davis right now in Dexter Lawrence, somebody who is really freaky athletic, who is really big, who can do, I would say, a, a solid amount. But Jordan Davis, I think, is going to be a more impact player than Dexter Lawrence in the NFL, whereas Kyle Hamilton, com- combining him with Xavier McKinney, I do think that's going to allow you to just be such a bastard in terms of disguising your coverages on the back end, which is something that I've we've brought it up several times throughout this podcast the, the amount of things you can do the amount of things wink is going to want to do because wink the way he uses his safeties he brings them up into the box a lot he brings them off the edge a lot they're blitzing a lot they're pressuring they're dropping into coverage he will just line a bunch of people up at the line of scrimmage and then bail them out right before this snap just totally confuse and try to deceive the opposing quarterback and I think having a player like Kyle Hamilton will really allow you to do that but I can totally understand if the Giants don't want to go in that direction Then you can look at pick 36. You have a bunch of safeties there that aren't Kyle Hamilton, probably can't fundamentally change your defense like Kyle Hamilton, but can still be huge impact players like a Daxton Hill, like a Lewis sign from Georgia, Daxton Hill from Michigan, like a Jaquan Brisker, Penn State kid. Hill's a little bit more of an apex overhang type defender. Same with Jalen Petrie from Baylor. But those players are very, very important as well. If They can play man coverage and they can come downhill and they can fill and they can be really, really quality players in your one support game to maintain the continuity of your defense. And all those guys I just named can do that. Even like Nick cross from Maryland, who's going to be selected a little bit later. So there's a a solid group of safeties here that I think the giants are going to look into. I heard Kirby Joseph from Illinois is somebody who is interesting as well. I haven't gotten my eyes on him, but he was down at the senior bowl and he didn't do anything to, to, that, like, I thought was terrible, but I wasn't really studying the safeties too hard during the senior bowl practices. So I just think there's a lot of names that really interest me now that Logan Ryan is not there. So if the Giants don't even go with Kyle Hamilton, you could still get some of these other guys, and they will really significantly help what Wink Martindale's trying to do.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And I I that's a player from Illinois, Kirby, that I've I've watched and he has really good range. And I'm always looking for range at that safety position. I think for Wink Martindale as well, that's something that he'll be looking for. So safety's now a position just added to the list of of needs that go for not not just for this season, but for the future. They're rebuilding for the future here, the Giants. So safety, tack it on. That's something they're gonna be looking at as well.
1: Yeah, and I also heard good things about Brian Cook, the one from Cincinnati. He's yep. another, like, bigger body type of guy. So I, I haven't watched Cincinnati's defense yet. I'm going to be getting to that because I need to get my eyes on some sauce, bro.
2: Yeah, for sure. Got to watch Sauce Gardner. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the Big Blue Vander podcast. I've says we turn the page on March, get ready for a big April. We have big things coming up starting next week. Well, we will be having Mark Schofield rejoining the podcast. It's all quarterbacks with us, Daniel Jones to Rod Taylor, maybe some quarterbacks in this draft class as well. Definitely, I should say, because he's gotten his eyes on those players as well. I'm going to try to have a guest for every position. That's been the goal. We'll see if we can pull it off. But in addition to that, obviously, a lot of player profiles. When we turn the page to to April, that's when it really starts happening for the Giants. We're on a you know month-long count- uh, countdown until the draft. So very exciting times for the Giants. This is the biggest draft they've had in, in years, just based on capital and based on you know, some new GM trying to put his mark on the franchise. So thanks again for tuning in. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.